Let's pray. Father, we thank you so very much for this day that you've given us. Lord, when I think about it, there is so many reasons to worship you. So many reasons to declare your goodness, your grace, your love. And so, Lord, I pray this day that we would do that, that we would declare that you are worthy, worthy to be lifted up and exalted. And so, Father, I just ask in Jesus' name that you would send the Holy Spirit into this place to strengthen, encourage, and bless your church. Father, I pray that you'd be more magnified this day and lifted up. And we just give it to you. Give us ears to hear, Lord, all that you want to speak to us and eyes to see all that you want to reveal to us because we don't want to miss anything from you today. We give you this time asking your blessing in it. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Good morning. Please be seated. It's good to see you. <clears throat> In Psalm 145, verses 8 through 10, it reads this. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. <clears throat> all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. And I'm sure you guys have heard of Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, verse 6, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, those scriptures give me such comfort, especially in what we're going to be talking about this morning. In the Bible, I see two very important principles at work. On the one hand, I see God's sovereignty. God's sovereign choice and election. On the other hand, I see human responsibility, that we have a responsibility to make a choice. Now, where do these meet? I like how Chuck Smith put it. He said, they meet somewhere back here. <laughs> we can't see it. Many people get very confounded and confused by the relationship between divine sovereignty and election and between human responsibility and choice. I actually find great comfort in it. I find great strength in it. Why is that? Well, because of the verses I just read to you. Because God is good. God is merciful. God is compassionate. And if I know that God is good that God is full of mercy and grace and he loves me and has my best interest at heart, then I have no problem with God making choices for me. <laughs> but here's the thing. <clears throat> God's mercy and grace leads me to one most important decision, and that is this, to choose Jesus, to choose him. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to, Romans, uh, to turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. We're going to be picking up in verse 14, and we're going to read through the rest of the chapter. Just a little light reading for you this morning. 
So Romans chapter 9, picking up in verse 14, let's read through verse 33. It's the end of the chapter. Let's read this together. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people I will call my people, and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were, based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whomever believes in him will not be put to shame. All right. Like I said, just a little light reading for us this morning. Look, in these chapters, chapters 9 through 11, we see Paul turning to kind of shifting his focus a little bit, but he's continuing the same theme all right, but he's shifting his focus a bit, answering this very important question, why has so much of Israel rejected Jesus as their Messiah? And he spends considerable time in chapters 9 through 11 answering and examining the answer to that question. And here, what we see Paul addressing is we see Paul addressing God's sovereign purpose, his sovereign mercy, there's, there's a sense of God's sovereignty reigning over this, but also at the end of the chapter, we see a place for our response. But what Paul is doing here is he's revealing God's purpose and plan, especially as it pertains to the inclusion of the Gentiles in God's plan of salvation. So we see Paul reveal God's 
I'm sorry, God's sovereign purpose and plan in calling into salvation Gentiles as well as Jews for those who by faith confess Jesus as Messiah and Lord. Look, I think it's important for us to kind of go back to the beginning a little bit. Now, I don't mean the back of the beginning of Romans. I'm talking the beginning of when God reveals himself to Israel to begin with. Who was the first patriarch? Abraham. All right, Abraham. Remember the patriarchs of the faith. The beginning of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, in the very beginning, when God calls Abraham, back when he was called Abram, and not yet Abraham, which is father of many nations, but back when he called Abram, in Genesis chapter 12, remember what God says to Abram. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in you, in some translation it says, and through you all nations shall be blessed. What was God's plan from the very beginning? God's plan from the very beginning was to reveal his salvation to all peoples, but he started with Israel. He chose Israel and revealed himself to Israel, revealed his glory in Israel, so that he would reveal his glory and his salvation through Israel. Understand where I'm at so far? So this wasn't just about Israel. It was that God began with Israel, and his desire was to reveal his salvation and glory in and through Israel, culminating in Messiah Jesus. And so from the very beginning, we see God has a purpose and plan to reveal himself and to reveal his glory and his salvation to all peoples. And so Paul's answering, it's, I want you to look at it like this. If you have Israel saying, why would God reveal himself to those Gentiles? Why would God offer salvation to the Gentiles? All right? It's almost as if Paul is answering that larger question in Romans 9 through 11. And so, in responding to the objection that God was arbitrary in dealing with Israel's patriarchs, the objection that was brought up in chapter 9, verses 6 through 13, we see Paul reveal and emphasize God's sovereignty in showing mercy as he sees fit. In other words, God will show mercy on whoever he wants to show mercy, and he will have compassion on whomever he wants to have compassion. Now, when some people read this, they see God maybe, you know, kind of narrowing the scope of who he shows mercy on, but that's actually not what's happening here. What's happening here is that God is actually expanding the scope of who he has compassion and mercy upon. Once again, I go back to the question, if Israel would say, why would God re or offer salvation to those Gentiles? Think of God answering this way, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And so we see here a number, a couple of things that I want us to um, emphasize, and these should bring us great comfort and encouragement. 
First, we see that God acts with mercy. That God acts with mercy. In verse 15, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion. In other words, it doesn't depend on what we want or what we work for, but it depends on what? It depends on God who has mercy. Don't overlook this. I can tell you're just wowed by this. I was wowed by it. I'm going to tell you, I read this and I go, this is awesome. Why is it awesome? Because God deals with us with mercy. That's how God deals with us, with mercy. As a matter of fact, he deals with us in mercy out of his goodness. In Exodus chapter 33, this is the verse, by the way, that Paul is quoting here. Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 through 19 Moses says to God, he says, Moses said, please show me your glory. And he, God, replied to him, and he said, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Notice what God says here to Moses. He says, look, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. You know, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And out of his goodness, he deals with us with mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. It contrasts with grace in the sense that grace is not, or I'm sorry, grace is getting what you don't deserve. Understand? Grace is getting what you do not deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. This is why you throw yourself on the mercy of the court. You, you're standing before the judge. You've been declared guilty. And sentence is going to be pronounced upon you. And so you do what? You throw yourself on the mercy of the court so that you will not get what you do deserve. This is how God deals with us, with mercy. He deals with us in a merciful way, and this is awesome. This is why I trust God, because God is not arbitrary. He is not capricious. He does not look at some people and go, yeah, you're all right, I'll deal with you with mercy. Mercy, mercy, yeah, you, no, I don't think so. That's not how God deals with us. That's how we deal with people. That's how humans deal with each other. That's how whole groups of people deal with one another. They're arbitrary and capricious in the way they deal with one another. But this is not how God deals with us. God deals with us with mercy. And so here we see that Paul is, is, is saying, if God wants to include the Gentiles into his plan of salvation, what is that to you? It's almost like he's saying that. Do you remember the, um, the parable that Jesus told about the wealthy landowner that hired people to work in his vineyard? And he went out in the morning and he hired some people and said, okay, agreed with them, a denarius? 
And then later in the afternoon, he went and hired some more. Then later, late in the day, just before quitting time, he hired some more. And then when it came time to pay pay up, he gave every single one of them what? A denarius. And those who worked early in the day started to grumble and complain. Hey, wait a minute. How come we worked eight hours, they worked one hour, and we're getting the same pay here? And the landowner says what? You're getting what I agreed. You're not, you're not getting what, there's nothing, there's no injustice here. We're, you're getting what we agreed upon. What if I want to be generous to them and give them the same? What is that to you? Do I not have a right to be generous toward others? In many ways, we see this being played out right here. If God wants to be generous toward others, he has every right to be generous. And he has every right to show mercy. That is his sovereign mercy. He will dole out mercy as he sees fit. And because God is good, I trust that he will dole it out properly. But not only do we see that God acts with mercy, but he also acts with grace. He acts with grace. Once again, verse 16. So then it depends on what? What does God's doling out mercy depend on? Does it depend on human will? No. Does it depend on human exertion? My works? No. It depends on what? It depends on God who has mercy. God deals with us in grace. Do you remember what God said to uh, Israel about his choosing of them? In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8, it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other peoples that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God's choosing of Israel was purely an act of grace. Do you understand? An act of grace. He didn't do it because they deserved it or they earned it or they, he looked upon the peoples and said, oh, there's, there, you know, he, he, it was purely an act of grace. God deals with us in grace. Which means, once again, once again, in mercy, we don't get what we do deserve. With grace, we do get what we don't deserve. And so God deals with us in mercy and in grace, and he has the sovereign power to dole those things out as he sees fit. Because it's not based on our works, it's not based on our deeds, as we're going to see a little later. Because if God were to just deal with us according to our deeds, we would, every single one of us, be in trouble. But we'll get to that here in a minute. First, we see God... God's sovereign mercy in how he deals with us. But we also see God's sovereign purpose in this passage. God's sovereign purpose. Part of the issue Paul is addressing has to do with perspective and purpose. Perspective and purpose. We see things from a limited perspective, right? And we do not fully grasp God's purpose in election. But here's the thing. God has no such limitations. God is not limited. Do you remember what I said earlier? I see God's sovereign 
election, I see his sovereignty, I see man's responsibility, and they meet somewhere back here. But God is not limited in that way. We are limited in that way. We don't fully understand what God is doing. We don't fully understand everything that is being played out. And so in that sense, we must exercise faith in trusting him that he is working out all things. Remember, please, whatever you do, do not forget what God said in Romans chapter 8. When you go into Romans chapter 9, do not immediately dispose of what you learned in chapter 8. And what is that? That there is nothing, no created thing, anywhere that can separate you from the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ. Nothing. So if you don't fully understand what God is doing, just, understand, just know this, that that's how it is with limited human beings and an omnipotent, all-knowing, all-powerful God. Okay? And, and so part of what's going on here is that we don't fully understand everything God is doing. We have a limited perspective. We don't fully grasp his divine purpose in election. But we see revealed here a couple of things. First, we see God's sovereign power. God's sovereign power. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Look, I'm sorry, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? We see in here God's sovereign power. That God is all-powerful and has the power to create as he wills and has the complete sovereign divine authority over his creation. And so what if he chose to create one part for this and one part for that. It's like the, the foot complaining that it's not a hand or something like that. You, you understand what I'm talking about? That there's a certain aspect or regard where it's, easy, it's hard for us to fully understand why God sometimes has created us the way he has, but he has created us the way he has to fulfill a divine purpose and plan. Every single person in this room, every single person on earth, in fact, I believe, has gifts and talents and skills that are to be used to glorify God, to build up his church, to do his work. Now, what we choose to do with them, that's a different matter. But if God decided to give to me this one-trick pony, the gift of teaching and no other gifts whatsoever... Well, that's, I guess, his business. My business is to take the one trick he gave me and to use it for his glory and his majesty. But you guys out there, you, you are no such one-trick ponies. You, you guys are like multi-trick ponies. You have gifts and talents that God wants to use. He has empowered you and gifted you. But we see that God has sovereign power We have to be careful to recognize that ultimately it's God who has the power. It's God who has the authority because he is God. 
you know, I mean, I don't think God ever said this to me, but it reminds me, you know, with my kids going on and on, finally I just have to say something like, because I'm dad. That's why. <laughs> I'm dad. And they're like, yes. And I said, okay, then that's, that settles that. <laughs> we see revealed here God's sovereign power. But we also see revealed here God's sovereign patience. Sovereign patience. Again in verse 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to do what? In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Look, this is going to become more obvious in chapter 11. As a matter of fact, if you ever sit down and read Romans chapter 9, I want to encourage you not to read Romans chapter 9. I want to encourage you to read to Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. Read them all in one sitting. And much of this becomes much more clear. Because here's the thing. What he is saying here is that God is having much patience with us. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to do what? In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. You know, part of God's plan was that he was going, he wants to reveal himself in and through Israel to the Gentiles. There's going to come a point in which the Gentile nations have been reached and in which God is going to turn back toward Israel. Do you understand? Now, I'm going to talk about that more when we get to chapter 11. But part of what we see happening here is that God is dealing with Israel in such a way so that he can reveal himself to the Gentile nations. But do not forget God's patience toward us. Do not forget God's patience. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And I also think of 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We see God's sovereign patience. He is patient with us. And part of the way, part of the reason why he puts up with so much foolishness and, and talk and even with, his own, um, even with his own people, Israel, re- so many of them rejecting the Messiah, the reason he is so patient with them is because his plan and purpose is to reach the Gentile nations. So we see revealed God's sovereign power. We see God's sovereign patience. But we also see God's sovereign purpose. Sovereign purpose. Notice what it says here. Verse 24. Even us whom he has called, not only not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, 
Those who are not my people, I will call my people. Now, who are those who are not my people? The Gentiles. So those who are not my people will now be called what? My people. And her who was not beloved will now be called what? Beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called what? Sons of the living God. Part of God's purpose is to bring the Gentile nations into the plan of his salvation. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved, for the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. As Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. You know, there's so much more I can say about this, but I am limited in the amount of time. This is definitely one of those sermons where I started off with like five pages and had to cut it down to one. But here's the thing. We see God's sovereign purpose at play here. That from the very beginning, God's plan and purpose was to bring Israel into, I'm sorry, to reveal himself to and through Israel so that the Gentile nations would also be offered salvation through Messiah Jesus. This is good news. This is the good news of the gospel, that God has made known his salvation to all nations. What is our response to this? Our response, look, this is a challenging chapter. Make no bones about it. But this challenging chapter reveals God's sovereignty in electing unto salvation whomever he wants, regardless of their ethnic background, whether Jew or Gentile. And it builds on the theme of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. As a matter of fact, let's read, let's go back a few chapters to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, and you're going to see how all this ties together. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Which means that it's a good thing that God deals with us in grace and mercy. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by what? By his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, patience, in his divine forbearance, that's patience, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles 
also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Amen. God's plan was to include the Gentile nations into his plan of salvation through Messiah Jesus. This is great news. In his divine mercy and grace, he has extended his salvation to us. So what is our response? Our response is what? Faith. It is faith. Faith in Messiah Jesus. <clears throat> what shall we say then? That Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were, based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So we are left with a choice. <clears throat> and that choice is this. That we can either trip over our own self-righteousness, or we can build on the foundation that is Jesus Christ, as our Messiah and Lord. I believe God's mercy leads us to the only right choice, to put our faith in Jesus as Messiah. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> well, Father, I thank you so very much for this opportunity to study your word. And what a marvelous word it is, Lord. Father, no doubt there are some difficult areas in here that we do not fully understand. And I pray that you would give us wisdom and insight as to not only understand them, but also apply them to our lives. But I am so very thankful, Lord, that you have revealed yourself in such a way that you have revealed Christ as Messiah to us. So help us, Lord, not to trust in our own works, but rather to trust in you completely and totally for salvation. And so we just give this to you, Lord, asking that you would send the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name to give us wisdom, insight, and application. Be with your church this day, Lord. Strengthen and encourage them. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. amen.